All right. So anyways, we're going to be uh, talking about how we got the Bible, talking about the canon of the scriptures. And today, uh, we're not going to really get into the nitty-gritty of all of that stuff. But uh, I'm just going to kind of give a brief overview of the scriptures. Uh, some of this stuff may be stuff that you already are well aware of, but at least it'll give us some uh, starting point. And um, I said all the stuff before, but if you do have any questions or comments, feel free uh, to let that be known. But before uh, we get started, there's going to be some terms that I, I think is going to be useful to kind of give a brief definition uh, to you know, some things that we'll be talking about that, that um, you know, some of these, you know, of course, we have the first one that's the Bible. And I think we obviously know what that is. But some that we'll use, it might be more confusing uh, to some in here. But this word Bible, it literally means the books. It's derived from the word Biblia, all right? So when you think about, you know, wondering where we got that word from, that's literally what... Uh, the definition of the Bible is. And, of course, the Bible is a collection of books, collection of letters, uh, epistles, uh, so on and so forth. Uh, we we will also see a lot this term called codex, okay? And so the Romans used this word to describe many tablets bound together, all right? And so, you know, also it's been used for papyrus or parchment, which papyrus or parchment is kind of, I guess, a very close uh, relative to our modern paper, all right? And so, you know, when you think about codex, I just think of a, a book, all right? These are multiple pieces of paper or tablets that are bound together for easy uh, reading. And, of course, uh, before this, you know, we would have scrolls. Uh, that people would scroll out and read, and you can, of course, you can read through those scrolls, but it's much more difficult uh, to use, especially if you're trying to find a particular verse or, or whatever. Uh, rolling through that scroll is much more difficult than having some codex or some bound uh, pages in which you can look through uh, more quickly, right? So we have, of course, we also have Testament, and it comes from some Greek word that I, I can't remember and I can't pronounce anyways. Uh, but, you know, from what I understand is that it can oftentimes be better translated as covenant. So when we think about the Old Testament, we think about the New Testament. I mean, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about the Old Testament covers uh, primarily the, the Old Covenant or the Old Covenant times, I guess you would say. And then, of course, we have the New Testament which is we see uh, the brief period, you know, really before, and then we have the new covenant uh, being established. And then we also have uh, canon, all right? So we'll talk about the canon of scriptures, okay? And so this word literally means rule or a measuring line, all right? And so it, it's used to describe the complete set of inspired books in our Bible. So I think about like a measure line or a fence going around some land or whatever. It's sectioning off saying, hey, this is your land. This is my land. All right. And so with this canon, it represents what is considered inspired or not inspired uh, in the scriptures. All right. And so moving on to, uh, uh, I think, a 
pretty pretty basic introduction to our, our lesson. I wanted to briefly talk about some of the writing materials that are that were used throughout time, uh, you know, in in uh, bringing forth our scriptures. And before this, I want to say I, uh, a lot of this information that you see today comes from uh, Neil Lightfoot's Lightfoot book. Okay, it's called How We Got the Bible, and also some information from a preacher by the name of Kyle Pope. All right. So, again, Neil Lightfoot and Kyle Pope, okay? And so, the writing materials or things, you know, uh, materials that were used to write upon, of course, we begin with stone, and you think about the, the Ten Commandments been write, written on uh, stone tablets, all right? And so, people would inscribe and grave uh, symbols upon the stone in order to convey some message. We also have clay tablets as well. And so in Ezekiel, uh, the New King James will make reference to uh, Ezekiel was writing or drawing something upon clay tablets, all right? And some translations may say bricks, and this is what was being talked about, all right? So again, uh, they make these kind of hard bricks out of clay, and they could write upon them uh, similar to like you would uh, with stone, uh, we also see, and this is more modern wood and wax, which we'll see a picture of this later on, is that people would have some wood tablet and then inlay it with some wax, all right? And so they would have, a lot of times they may have some stick with a point at the end of it, and they would draw or write into that wax uh, with uh, that stick or anything that had some type of a pointed edge uh, to that. You know, a lot of times from what I've read, it almost, I think it was used a lot during the Greek and Roman times, but it, it was almost seen as their notebooks of the day of using this type of material. And you think about that, it would be very easy to make these wooden wax tablets. And, you know, I you know, think about it, even if you wrote on one, you could easily uh, make a, you know, fill uh, fill that layer up again with wax and reuse that. All right. We also have metal, so like brass engravings, gold engravings. Uh, we have ostraca, which that's the technical term for it, but it's really just potsherds. And I, every time I see that word, I think about Job scraping himself with a potsherd. And that's literally just broken pieces of pottery. All right. And so fairly similar to the clay tablets, which we already seen. Interesting enough, I didn't really uh, know this, but uh, with ostraca, that is where we get the word ostracized from. And so during the, I believe it was the Greek, Roman times, if somebody was being exiled uh, or, or they were planning on exiling them, people would cast their votes on whether or not to do that on these pieces of this ostraca, and that's where we get that term ostracized from, which I just think is pretty interesting, all right? But again, it's just broken pieces of pottery, which you think about that during that time, probably plenty of that around, especially in Old Testament times, they would just use that to write on. And then, of course, we have papyrus, which when you think about papyrus, I think about Egypt, uh, came from a plant, all right? And so these plants, they were cut in very um, uh, narrow strips, and those strips were kind of pressed together to form, you know, it's pretty similar to our, our paper uh, today, uh, but you'll see a lot of that 
papyrus and these, you know, maybe these uh, older manuscripts, uh, these older documents uh, being made out of papyrus. And then we have leather and parchment, which that's just animal skins, all right? Leather being cow skins, parchment, uh, again, being these animal skins. And really the, the draw for using leather and parchment compared to papyrus is its durability, all right? Leather is much more durable than papyrus. You can that papyrus once it's dried out, you can set a match to it and it's gone. But that leather is, you know, it will handle uh, the elements much better compared to something like papyrus. Any comments, questions so far? Okay. So this is a picture of some clay tablets again. Uh, you know, maybe some. I can't remember exactly. This would have been some type of ancient language. All right, so this would have been what one of these tablets looked like. We have the wooden wax tablet, and this is, of course, this is a more modern uh, representation of what one of these tablets may look like. But if you notice, you'll have the wood. Of course, we have these two wood tablets being bound together, and then that darker brown there would have been wax. All right, so again... They could take some type of pen of sorts and write in that dark brown area and engrave that wax, right? We also have some metal plates. And again, this was around, these are some gold uh, plates from around 500 BC. And it's kind of, I'm sure it's kind of hard to see in the further back, but you can kind of see some engravings that have been made uh, in those plates right and so then this is a pot shirt right again notice very obviously it's just a broken piece of a larger fragment or larger fragment larger piece of pottery and you can see the words being given there and then we have this is an example of papyrus notice again it's fairly it looks like some piece of a scroll very similar to paper, but you can kind of see, or at least I can see uh, in this picture, that it has some age to it and it's getting incredibly fragile. All right. And then we have some parchment. Okay. So it kind of gives you a feel of all the different writing materials that are used. Again, we have examples of you know, pretty much all of these being. Uh, used in, in at least for when we get into the New Testament, the Old Testament manuscripts, just about all of them are going to be in some type of papyrus, parchment. You know, I think of, again, you know, uh, forerunners of our modern paper is what we'll see uh, basically all of the manuscripts being written in, right? And it's just for the simplicity and convenience of use of uh, using those particular materials, Right, so the language of the of the Bible. All right, the first one, and I think we're all pretty aware, is is Hebrew. All right, and so what will when you look at this, what you kind of see is as far as languages, and especially for Moses, there was a lot of, uh, at least until fairly recently, a lot of debate on whether or not Moses even wrote what he did 
because of the time period in which it is claimed to be written. So it was around 1400, 1500 B.C. And the debate was, well, there was no languages uh, during that time period. And, of course, that has been disproven. Uh, you know, obviously we think about um, hieroglyphics, all right? Uh, hieroglyphics cuneiform, which that was really the first examples of uh, language. And so... I think everybody knows what that is. It is a some type of picture or image, and it represents some uh, idea or word. And the problem with that is if you wanted to write to somebody, you had to be a pretty good artist, all right? So for somebody like myself, I'd be out of luck, all right? But what you see around the 1500 B.C. is the development of what's called the Proto-Synatic Alphabet, which is a forerunner of our modern alphabets today. And so instead of having images that represent words or ideas, you would have these symbols or images that would represent certain sounds, all right? So our letters, all right, are symbols that represent some type of sound. And if you combine those letters, you get a word, all right? So that's the proto-synatic alphabet. And so more than likely, the very original oldest Hebrew writings was written in some type of form of a proto-synatic alphabet, all right? So again, that was around 15 to 1400 B.C. We also see some parts of the Old Testament. Uh, we do have some references in New Testament to Aramaic, lang Aramaic languages. It's a uh, kindred language to Hebrew. It uh, became common in that Palestine area around 500 B.C., what you really saw is Aramaic, during the time of the Persian Empire, it became more of an international language, all right? But it's, uh, you know, you had these different languages that developed in, in, in that area, and they were all kind of similar in their own ways. Of course, they were different, but they had uh, some uh, similarities. And you'll see, so Jesus in the New Testament, uh, we'll see Aramaic phrases that he spoke. All right, and so during that time of Jesus, that it was very common uh, for those individuals to speak uh, Aramaic. All right, so the Jews would be speaking Aramaic and Greek uh, during uh, that time. And then, already said this, but uh, we also see uh, the New Testament being written in Greek. All right, we also will see a Hebrew to Greek translation of the Old Testament. Uh, later in this lesson as well, all right? And so in this particular Greek is known as Koine Greek, is also known as Hellenistic Greek, all right, that this uh, New Testament was written in, all right? So Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. And I believe, so there was a few pieces of the Old Testament that are written in Aramaic. I believe there's a reference, uh, a passage in Daniel, uh, that is written in Aramaic, all right? And so you, you kind of think about what was going on around 500 B.C., you kind of say, oh, that makes sense why some of that may be written in Aramaic. But during the time, you know, close to the time of the Babylonian captivity, all right? And so it makes sense as to why we would see that become, uh, what we would see some passages written in, in that language, all right? So, as far as the Greek language is concerned, it's 
the uh, the the writing styles of the Greek language changed over time. And the reason that's important is that New Testament manuscripts, of course, even some uh, Old Testament manuscripts are written in Greek. But what this helps is that if we see certain writing styles, we can get an idea as to when uh, the manuscripts was written. All right, and so really the, the main changes is whether or not the manuscripts were written in an uncial, I guess that's how you say it, uncial or minuscule, all right? And so when you see minuscule, you kind of you kind of get an idea about what we're talking about here. Minuscule means small, and so if you think about it, this uncial probably means large, all right? And so I don't know if that means large, but it does describe... Uh, the differences in the letters, but this uncial style is is all capital letters, all right? And so the reason that's important is that you've seen this style uh, between the 3rd and the 10th centuries, all right? And so if we see a New Testament manuscript that's written in an uncial style, more likely it's going to be earlier. It's going to be an earlier type manuscript, also to note is that during the, in the Greek, they don't have spaces, they didn't have punctuation uh, in their language. And so, if for an example, I just used part of John 3.16 here, that if we were reading this in the Greek style, this is what it would look like, right? So it would say, for God so loved, it would be all uppercase, there would be no spaces, any type of punctuation, and... I'm glad we came up with spaces and punctuation because that would be difficult to me to put all that together, all right? I'm glad there's much smarter individuals than I am that um, translate that, all right? So that's uncial style. We have the minuscule. It's also known as a cursive style, but it's really written in lowercase, all right? And so during this would have been 9th to 16th centuries, and so we do see some overlap between the, the uncial and the minuscule styles, but generally, again, uncial would be tend to be earlier, the minuscule would tend to be later. And again, we would see how this is written. Similar to the uncial, again, it's just lowercase letters. Right? Okay. So our Old Testament breakdown... It is, and that is small, it is written uh, primarily in Hebrew. Again, we do have some Aramaic passages in uh, the Old Testament. And we talked about uh, you know, how that language uh, may evolve uh, from a hieroglyphic to more of a proto-synactic alphabet. And then, of course, it would continue to evolve. But we see that the Old Testament, or the books from the Old Testament, written from around 1400 B.C., so this would have been around the time of Moses, to 400 B.C. Remember, we think about the, the 400 years of silence, all right, before Jesus comes. And so we understand that this would, obviously, uh, that Old Testament scripture would end around the 400 B.C. mark, right? So it's 39 books in total. And then... I was reading about the divisions of the Old Testament, and I was like, this is much more complicated than it should be. And it really just depends on who you talk to or what you read. But So 
Kyle Pope and Neil Lightfoot will say that there's three divisions in the Old Testament. So this would be the law, the prophets, and then the writings, all right? So we have law, we have prophets, and basically everything else, which is including the writings, all right? But some will also say, like the law of prophets... And then we have the wisdom and the poetry. Some will also make mention of history. Some will divide the prophets between minor and major uh, prophets, all right? And so, don't want y'all to get confused by that. But if this ever comes up again in this class, we're just going to talk about the law, prophets, and writings, all right? And so, again, uh, if you get down into the nitty-gritty and you want to parse out those writings, there are differences, all right? So we have parts that are considered poetry, parts that are considered wisdom, like Proverbs, and then you will have your history, all right? So like the, the Kings and the Chronicles, okay? All right, and so there's three major events that we see as far as the formation and the preservation of the Old Testament, all right? And so the first one, of course, I think is obvious at the very beginning. It's the Law of Moses, all right? So there's first five books of the Old Testament. Does anybody think or can, can give me uh, some event that we have record of that might be critical as far as, again, the formation and the preservation of the Old Testament scriptures? Just think about it for a minute. So I'll give you, I'll give you a hint, all right? Uh, was there a time in Israel's history where maybe some of the scriptures got lost and, you know, possibly recovered? Yeah. So if you remember about Josiah, so this took place, you know, around 621 B.C., there was a time when people just they just didn't know where the book of the law is. All right, and then we see where it was found. And if you see all you go back and read that, that and really there was a of course we see Josiah's heart and then we also see a you know, at least for some time a change amongst people in which they you know, they had the law, they were concerned about the law, they were concerned about doing the law, at least for the most part, and so they found it. And, you know, again, when we think about how the, 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 the Old Testament was preserved uh, throughout time, this would have been a time, you know, I think it would have been pretty obvious that the people were very concerned about having that law, preserving that law uh, throughout history uh, for uh, their people. And then finally, we have the Jews returning from their exile. So again, around 400 B.C., you go back and read... I believe it's in Ezra, right? I don't think it, we didn't. We talked about this not that long ago, about when the people returned, they read from the law, and then there were the people there that were giving the sense, you know, not just reading it, but also trying to understand it. All right, and we see that change of heart of the people there. Okay, and so we see these time periods that you know I think are crucial in kind of understanding how. Uh, this word has been preserved uh, throughout time, all right? That not only do they want to know it, but obviously they would want to preserve it for future generations, all right? And it seems pretty obvious that it has been preserved uh, for future generations. Any questions, comments on this? Okay. And then 
later, all right, so this would have been, I don't remember exact date, but this wasn't too far uh, behind the time of Jesus. We see a Hebrew to Greek translation, all right? So this is known as the Septuagint, or for those that know Roman numerals, it's the LXX. It stands for 70. That's where we get the word Septuagint from. I believe 70 is like Septuaginta or something like that, all right? It's kind of misleading and, and, and people I, I guess they just chose 70 because it's much more simpler to say it's 72 but the reason where we get that is from that there were 72 Jewish scholars that actually translated the Hebrew over to Greek all right and so again they just instead of saying 72 they would say 70 of these scholars all right translating that and you know we see, uh, you know, I think there's some some debate, you know, about the legitimacy of the Septuagint that we'll get into later. Um, but I would have to go back and look because I think there might be some quotations of Jesus that use uh, this particular translation, but I can't recall off the top of my head. But regardless of that, we see this Hebrew to Greek translation, uh, you know, again, sometime between... Uh, they're returning, and then the time of Jesus as well. Okay, so going to the New Testament, again, it's primarily uh, Koine Greek. Uh, <laughs> and really depends on who you ask will determine when all the New Testament letters and, and books were written. Uh, I guess it depends on when you think Revelation was written and when John was writing. It, it seems like. Uh, but anywhere between the 40s to the 90s, again, uh, some will say like Revelation was written like in 90, and, and I believe his gospel was written like in the 80s, is what some will say, all right? But somewhere during that time, all right? So you had this 50-year period in which these letters, and again, these gospels, these books were written. All right, so much more close together as far as the date as compared to the Old Testament. Our Old Testament written over the course of a thousand years, New Testament about over the course of 50 years. So we have 27 books, so we have 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament, that gives us 66 in total. And then, uh, for simplicity here, we have I'm going to say five divisions, all right? So we have the history, which includes the Gospels, all right? We have the epistle to churches. We have the epistles to individuals, like Philemon. Then we have the general epistles, which are not, we can't tell uh, that it was written to a specific church, so like James, all right? And then we have prophecy, and that is revelations, all right? So three to five divisions, depends on who you talk to for the Old Testament, and again, I'm just going to stick with five divisions for the New Testament, even with this. Depends on who you talk to. It might be a little bit different. Okay? So, that was the Old Testament, New Testament breakdown. I'm going to briefly talk about uh, different manuscripts. Uh, and these, what I'm going to give you are the very significant manuscripts. There's a lot more than what's going to be mentioned here, I believe. Uh, for the New Testament, there's over 5,000 manuscripts and pieces of the scriptures. And I'm not quite sure uh, in regards to the Old Testament. 
But for the Old Testament manuscript, we have a few, all right? And so we have what's called the Aleppo Codex, all right? And so interesting enough, there's kind of some interesting story behind that. It was that it was found in some very old synagogue in 1947. And so, you know... During that time, that was the formation of the modern state of Israel, all right? So there was happenings going on there. And uh, during that time, I guess people were, a lot more people doing a lot of searching in that area. But this was found uh, in some synagogue that is, again, around 1,500 years old. And so what it had is almost all of the Pentateuch, and that, again, that's the five, first five uh, books of the Old Testament, and then there were several other books that were uh, in there. Okay? But I couldn't really, I may have to do some more search, and I couldn't really figure out if there was an actual date as to when they thought that it was uh, written. All right? We had the Leningrad Codex, which, if you are a student of history, you know exactly what Leningrad is. Uh, it is a city in Russia. It's now called St. Petersburg. Reason being is that it spent a lot of time, I don't know if it's still in St. Petersburg, but it definitely spent a lot of time uh, there, all right? So this is the oldest complete manuscript, and so this was written around 1010 in Cairo, all right? So this would be about, again, about a 1,000-year-old manuscript. And then we have the Cairo Codex, and so this is a manuscript of the prophets, all right? And they think this was written around 895. Okay. Is that 1010 AD or 895? Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, if I will, if it's BC, I will put BC there. All right. Which you might have a question about that. We'll talk about as far as as far as when it was written. All right. We have also the Leningrad Codex of the Prophets. I don't know why the Russians have such affinity for uh, this, but it just always seems like a lot of this ends up in Russia. Uh, so this was, this contained Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and the Minor Prophets, and this was written around 916. All right, and then we have the British Library Codex of the Prophets. This includes, uh, includes most of the Pentateuch. I think that's how you say it. Again, it's around the 9th to 10th century. And you start seeing a theme here. A lot of these manuscripts seem to be written around the 900s to the 1000s, all right? And if you, if you think about it, if you have any kind of knowledge of when the New Testament manuscripts were written, uh, you would immediately start thinking, wow, these are relatively young compared to the New Testament manuscripts that we have. And which... I just find it to be kind of ironic because it seems as though when people start talking about the legitimacy of the Bible, they immediately go for the New Testament, all right? Like the New Testament is what the problem is, and of course there are people that have issues with the Old Testament, but the irony is that we have, you know, just seems, you know, younger major manuscripts for the Old Testament compared to the New Testament, but at the same time, I don't think there's really... Uh, a question of the legitimacy of those manuscripts. Uh, Lightfoot, you know, in, in talking about these young manuscripts, he says, from the Jewish standpoint, any manuscript that had been carefully copied and carefully checked with an authentic exemplar was as accurate as any other copy. 
The Jewish scribes looked upon their copies of the scriptures with an almost superstitious respect. This led them to give ceremonial burial to any of the texts that were damaged or defective. And so what they did is they would make new copies, and these old copies, they would get rid of them. They would bury them. All right? And the reason being was they didn't want anybody else to get their hands on those old copies and, you know, cause some ruckus with those old copies. All right? You also see is that it's very interesting when these people were, there was a couple of like major families that, or groups of individuals that uh, basically made these copies from like 500 A.D. supposedly, maybe a little bit before, up to, you know, more uh, in time with these manuscripts that we have. And really when they were making these copies, they would, so even if a previous copy, maybe the, letter was a little bit larger than the rest of them. You know, like if you're writing and maybe somebody, you know, the capital letter was a little bit larger, whatever it may be, they would actually, in painstakingly details, actually make those letters just like what they saw in those manuscripts. And if there was something that they thought was misspelled, for example, like there was an extra letter, they would write the misspelled word, so they were making a completely exact copy of that manuscript, even with the incorrectly spelled word, but they would put like a dot up above the letter, all right? And that would basically indicate that the scribe thought there was maybe some issues, or they thought that maybe this was a misspelling or there was something wrong, but they would still uh, write the exact copy of what they previously had. And so, going through that, that manuscript that may be from a thousand, these scribes going through, you know, painstakingly detail, uh, and continuing that, then we could make the case that that manuscript from 1,000 is just as legitimate from the manuscript from the time of Jesus or, you know, even before. All right? Comments, questions on that? Pretty much, yeah. And even even better than the copy machine because Microsoft Word will change a word on you if it's misspelled. They wouldn't even change a misspelled word, right? Okay, so we have New Testament manuscripts. And so uh, one major one is called the Vatican Manuscript. You can think, you hear the name, and you know probably where it's located. It's in the Vatican. Interesting enough about this manuscript is... So it's from around the 4th century, and we see it contains almost all the Greek Old Testament, New Testament. It was hidden in the Vatican for like hundreds and hundreds of years. It wasn't until like the 1800s that people could get their hands on it and study uh, completely uh, this manuscript. They might could just look at pieces of it, all right? But they couldn't, they couldn't get the full picture of it until really very recently in, in history, all right? which I just find to be interesting because why, why are you hiding this? But anyways, or why do you think the need to hide it? But, um, you know, again, this dates from around uh, the 4th century, almost all of the Greek Old Testament and New Testament. We have the Sinaitic Manuscript, okay? Uh, this is the oldest complete New Testament manuscript around mid-4th century. This was, um, if I remember correctly, it was found near 
Mount Sinai, all right? And so, uh, if you read Neil Lightfoot's book, there's there's an entire chapter that's kind of dedicated to how they went about and found uh, this manuscript. Okay? And then we have the Alexandrian manuscript, and we have, so this is a mostly complete Old Testament and New Testament manuscript, and it's from around the 5th century, all right? So four centuries, so this would have been between the three and four hundreds, and then we have the 5th century that would have been between the four and five hundreds uh, as well, all right? And so much younger uh, than those Old Testament manuscripts, but these, again, this is not just the only three that we have, all right? These are, I mean, these are, you know, the big wigs, so to speak. But there's a lot of other fragments, pieces of the scriptures. Again, there's almost, I think, it's a little over 5,000, uh, you know, pieces of scriptures uh, that we have evidence of. Right? And we, we ended right on time. All right. Anybody have any questions, comments on this? Again, I don't think it's anything that's, uh, you know, just earth-shattering that we're talking about here. Uh, I think at least in regards to some of y'all's knowledge, but at least I wanted to start with some type of introduction uh, to get us kind of on a similar footing as far as the scriptures, where they came from, and how they were made.